Welcome back, Looney listeners. This is episode 42 of Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. Uh, This episode, I'll be flying solo, and uh, we'll be looking at uh, a classic run as well as continuing a modern run. So we have the Hulk magazine, volume 1, issue 14, in our classic run. And for our modern run, it will be part 5 of The Bottom by Charlie Houston in uh, volume 5's Moon Knight. So... Sit back, relax, grab your issues out, and get your conchu on. Yes, hello, loonies. Um, welcome back to episode 42 of Into the Night. Um, I am your High Priest of Conchu, Ray, and uh, I'll be taking you through this episode, um, which is a little sparse on numbers. It's um, just yours truly, but that's uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, we have um, our standard format here, so um, we'll be looking at our classic run and our modern run. Uh, Konishu, I'd like to thank Konishu for his great work last week um, in hosting the show and uh, and taking on board both Tommy and Chad. So thank you so much, guys, for, for that episode last week. I I was away, um, so I was unavailable, but um, yeah, had fun at um, Free Comic Book Day, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it was just, I guess, scheduling issues between the four of us. It's um, uh, yes, it's uh, it's difficult when we're all in different time zones, but um, but those guys did a fantastic job. So I just wanted to quickly shout out um, those guys and thank them again. Right, well. For tonight's um, episode, uh, there's just a bit of news, I guess. I'll just really gloss over it because what I want to do, I guess, is kind of really refine the the Moon Knight news um, and be a little bit more picky picky with it. Um, Sometimes I feel that um, we do kind of uh, try to squeeze as much info out of uh, some very obscure articles as we can. So, uh, yeah, going to try and just pick the ones that are, are really relevant um, and actually have a real bit of a bit of news behind them. Um, but before that, uh, first thing I wanted to say, and it just only happened a couple of days ago, totally stoked about, on our Twitter account, IT, uh, you can find us at ITK Moon Knight. Uh, yeah, we have none other than Max Bemis following us, so that was a bit of a thrill, and um, if Max is listening right now, how you going, Max? Thanks so much for following us, and um, and thanks so much for dropping a few messages uh, across our way. Uh, we certainly love to hear from the Moon Knight creators, and, and um, no less so the current Moon Knight creator at the moment, Max Bemis, doing a really good job with, with Volume 9. Uh, yeah, so we have um, we have Max on on our Twitter now, which is pretty cool. And and I've been um, messaging him like uh, back and forth. Uh, he's actually he'll actually be in the UK uh, for a tour for his band Say Anything, and uh, he actually put it out there. He asked if there were any um, UK loonies that uh, you know were keen to to meet up or to come to his show. Um, he'd he'd definitely like to meet up and and talk Moon Knight with. Um, with the UK loony, so I'm going to put it out there. This is a uh, this is Sunday night as I do this, and it's um, what is it, the 13th of May, uh, and uh, yeah, if you if you want to get in touch or want to possibly um, have a chance to meet Max uh, Max Bemis, just um, throw us a line our way, and uh, we'll see what we can do. But I um, 
I had a look on his website and I thought, well, since I put this out in our loony bin, actually where a few of our loonies are just asking, oh, look, you know, Max is pretty keen to meet some of the loonies. Um, is anyone keen to, you know, to go to his shows or, or you know, to catch him? Um, and we got a bit of interest. So I thought, well, you know, it would be remiss of me to not mention um, Max Bemis's tour dates. Uh, I myself, I missed him, actually. He was in Sydney uh, in late February, March, and uh, I'm just kicking myself for, for not for not keeping an eye on that, um, and uh, could have, yeah, could have touched base with Mr. Bemis there. But um, for the dates for the UK, uh, that's coming up next, and he'll be uh, at Leeds on May the 26th, um, and it says here on the website, uh, various venues in Leeds. Uh, May 27th, he'll be at Hatfield Park in Hatfield, um, and May 28th, he'll be, be at the NEC in Birmingham in uh, in the UK as well. So I'll put these in the show notes. Um, and uh, yeah, let me know, loonies, if uh, anyone's out there who kind of lives near the area or would like to see Max Bemis, I'll, um, I'll send him a message and uh, let's see what he can do. Um, it would be great if, if you guys can touch base with him, maybe ask him a few questions. Um, also, just looking on his website, uh, he's got... Uh, Say Anything have a In Defence Anniversary Tour. Uh, that seems... Oh, no, that was last oh, that was last year, August 2018. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, look, I'll, I'll put this up in our show notes as well. But it seems that that's the, uh, the, immediate, um, the immediate dates coming up so far. So he'll be in the UK towards the end of May. So, um, yeah, go catch him there if you can. That'll be pretty cool. Uh... Also, as well, um, before we kind of get into the news, just put out there as well, we're, we're coming towards the end of our, our modern run of Charlie Houston's um, Volume 5 of Moon Knight, which is a real cracker. I, um, I just recently reread Issue 5, which we'll be reviewing tonight. Um, yeah, and so I put a post out there uh, for loonies as to what, um, what current run that they'd like to see done next. And... Um, been blessed with um, some responses, which is great. Uh, but the, I guess the curse to this is that most of them have been for different runs. So uh, I'll be democratic, democratic about it. Um, but I'm just opening it up now, and uh, got some interest for obviously the Warren Ellis run, which will be pretty cool. That's a six issue, um, six issue run. Uh, that's the most actually. So um, there are a couple of loonies that have. Um, voted for that um what else have we got here uh there was also for the round uh, round robin uh, sidekicks revenge which is a really cool 90s uh arc which actually ran through amazing spider-man uh, there was some interest for that which is good um let me see i'm just trying to find the uh, let me just grab it Yes, we um, had uh, some hits for J.M. Demetrius, uh, his Scarlet Redemption from the Mark Spector Moon Knight run, which is a very cool, I think it was a six-parter as well, very cool with an epilogue. Um, we also have uh, Tommy, the man on the streets, he's put in uh, for Secret Avengers, which would be pretty cool as well. I'd like to like to see that. Um, that'll be cool. So yeah, anyway, loonies, if you can get your... Um, Get your thoughts in, 
see which current run you'd like to see next. I know Daryl, uh, one of our listeners, is a big Greg Hurrits fan, so um, I'm sure he'd like to see Vengeance of the Moon Knight as the the next review. But um, yeah, open to anything or all. But I'll I'll let it. Um, whoever's got the most votes will go for the next current uh, current run. As for our classic run, as always, we'll just continue chronologically through there. So I think there's a few more Hulk magazines um, to get through, as well as a Marvel two in one. I think that's the one with the thing. Um, before we hit round about 1980, 1981, where Moon Knight gets his own series. So, um, yeah, so that'd be pretty cool. But anyway, um, yeah, moving on to uh, just news, I guess, online. And look, uh, there isn't too much. I will put all these links in for you to have a peruse at your leisure. But um, basically, most of them are speculation as to what's going to happen beyond Avengers 4. And uh, you get speculation that uh, in Phase 4 of the MCU, Moon Knight will be in there, you know, with the likes of Nova and Shang-Chi and and all the typical, all the usual suspects. So again, there's just a little bit of a murmuring online as to whether Moon Knight will will appear in Phase 4, but look, it's nothing that we haven't heard before. Um, right, so with that, I think we better get straight into it. So I'm going to say, why not grab your issues, sit back, and let's go over the moon. <gasps> right. We are over the other side of the moon, (laughs) and uh, as mentioned numerously, is that a word? Yeah, um, numerous times. Uh, We are covering on our classic run, The Hulk Magazine, Volume 1, Issue 14, uh, and it's the second story in it. Um, So I usually, I know I shouldn't, but I usually gloss over the Hulk story at the beginning, and the second um, story is called A Cure for Chaos. And uh, this is, I guess, wrapping up, um, if you remember Looney's, we were following the classic run and um, and Moon Knight had uh, been following or trying to track down the Statue of Horus. He stumbled upon a, you know, a, a terrorist plot to, to um, detonate a nuclear device in New York City. We got introduced to Lupinar, which um, was a, a villain that Lemire resurrected in his run, um, albeit as a space wolf, um, but we see Lupinar. Uh, anyway, this one kind of uh, rounds out that story. Um, so I think I will crack into it. I'll do a live reading. I did write out a, a bare bones for this, Loonies. Um, and here we go. All right, this is The Hulk Magazine, Volume 1, Number 14, A Cure for Chaos. It was released in April 1979. Uh, writer Doug Monch uh, with artist Ron Wilson. Inkers Rudy Nabrace. Uh, colorist Steve Olaf. And editor-in-chief Jim Shooter. Mark Spector makes a jump at the Moon Knight imposter as he still works undercover amongst the group of terrorists with the plutonium. As the scene becomes more chaotic with the appearance of the White Knight, 
the terrorists open fire on both Mark and the costumed vigilante, seemingly disposing of them both. The terrorists soon leave the two men in the bushes and return to their nuclear cargo. Once left on their own, Mark springs back into action, only having played possum and luckily having avoided the spray of bullets. The mysterious Moon Knight imposter is not so lucky, and as his corpse lies blood-ridden, Mark changes into his own Moon Knight costume and makes tracks to catch up with the terrorists. Moon Knight manages to mark one of the getaway cars with invisible ink and instructs Frenchie to follow the car from above in the moon copter. Moon Knight himself hitches a ride on the other car full of crims in the hope it will take him to their leader. Elsewhere, the two masterminds, Lupinar and Smelt, ponder whether their ruse to deploy the phony Moon Knight had worked. Having not heard from him, they wonder if the real Moon Knight had indeed surfaced. A call is received from their men, and to Smelt's surprise, Lupinar instructs that Smelt give the men the address to which they are currently at. It seems Lupinar has another deceptive plan that even his right-hand man is unaware of. Smelt instructs the men to arrive at their headquarters at night, so the men play the waiting game, unaware that Moon Knight 2 stalks them in the shadows and patiently waits for them to continue their journey towards Lupinar and Smelt. Meanwhile, Frenchie has some trouble convincing the authorities of the impending danger the city of New York face. He is stalwart, however, and persistent in gaining a result. Back with Moon Knight, and with a blanket of night concealing him, our avatar of vengeance is able to enter the estate of Lupinar and Smelts. After dispatching a couple of the crims in the car, Moon Knight confronts Smelt at the front door and overcomes him with ease. Moon Knight meets Lupinar face to face and discovers the mastermind seems more beast than man. An unfortunate victim of hypertrichosis, or the hirsute disease, Lupinar is wolf-like and his appearance bellies his bloodthirsty rage. He challenges Moon Knight to a duel with swords, intent on beating the superhero who has mastered all forms of combat and weaponry. The fight is intense, and it is soon discovered via Moon Knight's cowl that Frenchie has apprehended the terrorist attack. With nothing left to lose, Lupinar forcibly fights with honour and falls on Moon Knight's sword rather than face the crimes he's committed. Another mad plan thwarted, there's nothing left to do but to return to the mansion with Marlene and get ready for a more relaxed evening out. Yes, well, that was uh, the backup story to the Hulk magazine, issue 14. That was called A Cure for Chaos. And that kind of wraps up things for um, that story arc by Doug Munch, um, showing Mark or Moon Knight uh, thwarting both um, the theft of the horror statue and also the uh, the greater, I guess, 
uh, scheme in front of him, which was the apparent terrorist attack on New York City with a plutonium device. So, um, yeah, that wrapped things up. Um, And for those listeners that are first-time listeners, uh, what usually happens is after the bare bones, which is what I've just done, which is a narration of uh, or a synopsis of the story, uh, we move on to our four main aspects. Uh, and these four main aspects are the main, I guess, the main themes of the um, of the issue. And uh, and that's followed by any kind of sundry notes, which um, were just like observations um, or things I found interesting. And uh, I topped that off with a Crescent Art rating out of five. So looking at uh, the first aspect of this issue, let me just pull this up on pull this issue up in front of me actually um the first aspect would have to definitely be um mark specter versus basically himself um it's a nice scenario look we we know it's not himself um it's not himself as moon knight it's an imposter uh we find out from lupina and smelt that it's franco so one of their i guess one of their henchmen or mercs for hire he's uh he's donned the moon knight gear and, uh, you know, it's just a bit of fun. Um, it was teased at, at the end of the previous issue, and we get more of it in this issue. Um, we see Mark Spector versus Moon Knight, which is pretty cool. So this device was a little, I think, um, kind of slightly confusing and not completely logical with what Lupinar and Smelt wanted to do, but we find later on that... Munch uh, gives Lupinar another ulterior motive, which I'll discuss as another aspect. And that kind of justifies this scenario of a phony Moon Knight. Um, let's not forget that where we left Mark was that he kind of infiltrated this terrorist group uh, and pretended to be under the employ of, of their their boss, uh, Lupinar. And uh, so he was going to try and, I guess... Um, kind of foil things from within but uh the group gets stopped by moon knight which lupinar their employer has deployed onto them so it all sounds very um it's all a bit weird for me i think um but anyway it is a fun scenario seeing mark specter and moon knight fight and uh look it's it's not really glamorous or anything um it's it's very kind of obviously street level, there's just some tackling, some some punching and kicking, um, and Mark manages to get the better of this Moon Knight imposter, um, i.e. Franco, and uh, they're kind of met with a, a bit of a grizzly, well, the phony is met with a grizzly end, so one of the, the terrorists uh, comes out with a gun, hoping to help Mark Spector, because, you know, he's on their side, and he just sprays both of them with bullets, and unfortunately for the phony Moon Knight, that's the end of him. Uh, Mark doesn't really, you know, uncover the mask, which I find is a bit weird. You know, I, I would be quite keen to see who this person is that's trying to impersonate myself, but uh, Mark doesn't worry about that. He somehow evades the spray of bullets that the terrorists um, uh, shoots towards both of them, and uh, he, he essentially just plays dead um, just to to make sure that he doesn't get um, 
I don't know, confronted or accosted any further by, by the terrorists or, or what have you. So uh, he just lies still, and as the terrorists kind of move away to continue their plot, uh, Mark then kind of springs back, and he, uh, he turns into... Well, he happens to have, funnily enough, I know it seems to be under his um, civilian gear, he has a costume of Moon Knight, because he doesn't he doesn't undress the, the dead phony Moon Knight. He seems to have a... A copy of the costume himself so um yeah so i mean that was fun it was a bit short and sweet uh but we you know in hindsight it was uh there's a lot more potential that i think could have been done here i mean um to me this harks back to pretty much around this time as well so this was released in 1979 and it actually reminded me of the incredible hulk tv series and i remember as a little kid watching that one of the the really cool things was uh, in one of the episodes, the Hulk comes up against a guy who manages to copy the formula or the gamma radiation that had happened to to um, David Banner, and uh, you end up having Hulk versus Hulk, which is really cool. And as a little kid, I remember that's really cool to see. Um, you're kind of fighting someone or something uh, equal to you. So to me, this was very similar. It was like, Mark, I mean, who knows? Franco might have been a dud fighter for all (laughs) we know. But um, it was fun to see Mark uh, hitting Moon Knight, so to speak. So uh, yeah, that was one of the first aspects there. Um, The second aspect I wanted to get into was was Lupinar's ulterior motive. Um, Now, what I mentioned before previously was that uh, it seems his plan was a bit patchy here and there. So um, let me see. Let's see if I can put this. So Lupinar was introduced and he is a mastermind. What he wants to do, obviously, he wants to steal the plutonium and he wants to detonate that over New York City. You know, whether that's a terrorist plot or whether he has some... Um, you know, whether he some has some grudge over the city, we don't know. But that was his plan. So he's employed these guys to steal the plutonium and um, create a device and bring it to him. So he does that. Um, but at the same time, uh, Mark Spectre manages to infiltrate that. And what Lupinar does is that he's got this ace up the sleeves. And I say that in finger quotes. So he and Smelt say, look, let's just deploy our ace up the sleeves, which is a phony Moon Knight now. Now, my question is, what was he hoping to possibly do by having Moon Knight, his employee, hijack his other employees with plutonium? Um, It seemed to fall into place because Mark Spector infiltrated uh, the, the terrorist group, but surely that act of infiltration would not be known by Lupinar and Smelt. So if Lupinar had a grand plan, uh, and let's just say, for instance, he didn't assume that Mark would have infiltrated the group, why would he employ someone to basically hijack his own plan? I don't get it. But anyway, uh, that was one of the questions that I had, and it was one of those kind of intricacies of the storytelling which really kind of didn't work for me but um but anyway so what we find Lupinar's ulterior motive and we see that this towards the end Lupinar wants to fight Moon Knight face to face like Lupinar has heard that Moon Knight is a master of all weaponry so his other goal 
other than blowing up New York City, was to get Moon Knight to him. And he does that by using a phony Moon Knight. <laughs> but anyway, as confusing as that was, um, yeah, we we get revealed to us that, uh, yeah, that he has trained and trained um, in swords, and he knows, or Mark Spector, Moon Knight, has a reputation for for being a master of all sorts of weaponry. And so what Lupinar wants to do is, is to have a duel with Moon Knight, um, but with swords, because he finds he's on the same level as Moon Knight. And we see later on, actually, Moon Knight is still very proficient with the swords, and uh, actually almost plays with Lupinar and, and shaves a bit of of his shaggy hair from the side of his face, you know, so he kind of uh, is is quite a bit um, flippant with his with his skills and, and you know, quite cocky with them. Um, but this is what we see as Lupinar's goal, uh, as, you know, apart from his main goal, and, um, and this will tie into, I guess it just goes into my other third aspect, and my other third aspect was Lupinar's Lupinar's pain is revealed. Okay, so we find out Lupinar's little side project is to get Moon Knight and to challenge him, but his goal was obviously to detonate a bomb over New York City. And you may be asking, why would he want to do that? And it's revealed that it's because he seems to have suffered um, for his appearance. So Lupinar indeed, and unfortunately his name is uh kind of implies that as well he he's actually one of um those people that have the rare disease hypertrichosis i think that's the way that you pronounce it it's the one where you are abnormal abnormally hairier than um the normal people so i don't know if you've seen documentaries or or the like where they had portraits back in you know back in the renaissance period or, or um in the 16th 17th century and there was a little girl who, who looked like a werewolf because she had hair all over her face i think i haven't done my research but i think that is what um hypertrichosis is uh, also known as the the hirsute disease and uh, and Lupinar reveals to, to Moon Knight when they come face to face that he has no desire to become another carnival fixture, another famous wolf-faced boy. Uh, he doesn't want people laughing at him anymore, um, and he wants them to know the pain that he was inflicted upon when he was seen as a freak. So that's where his anger stems from, and he says... Um, I wanted them to know the pain, even greater pain than I've endured, the pain of death. So he really has a grudge on, I guess, the rest of humanity. And uh, what better way than to attack New York City, the Big Apple? So that was his plan. One of my questions, though, is uh, Lupinar certainly is a hairy fellow, as he shows off his hairy chest. But uh, he certainly also has very wolf-like features as well so i think this goes above and beyond uh hypertrichosis he has which is clearly um clearly drawn here by ron wilson and ron wilson's art i must say is very cool i really do enjoy his art with the colors um so hats off i've got to i've got to uh give a give a little shout out to um 
to Ron Wilson's art here. Anyway, on page 54 of this magazine, we see um, Lupinar, and he's got almost like a snout, like a wolf. He's he's grown his hair long, which, you know, I guess any human can do, but he's got long fangs on his, you know, in his mouth. So very, his canines are very well pronounced. Uh, And I think previously before, or um, even in a previous issue, uh, he's got almost claws, which I guess could be, you know, long fingernails, um, but maybe they're just uh, given the perception of claws. But it just leads me to believe um, or to wonder whether there's a lot more to to Lupinar than just hypertrichosis. So he may well be a mutant. Um, And another one of my little notes here, actually, um, is that... uh, Lupinar mentions as well that he needs more sleep than normal people. So there seems to be an, uh, a, a uh, what do you call it, um, a non-humanness to him. I wouldn't say like, you know, supernatural or anything like that, but he doesn't seem to be, apart from his, his hairiness, he doesn't seem to, to be your typical human being. I know that sounds pretty obvious, but uh, yeah, so... Anyway, so that's where that's where it seems to stem from this um, this pain and this grudge that Lupinar has. It all stems from his appearance. Um, fourth and final aspect for this issue, I thought the good thing here, what we saw, and as a great highlight by um, by Doug Munch, is that Moon Knight and Frenchie they work well together. And actually, although we don't see much of Frenchie's work, uh, Moon Knight has delegated. Uh, some work to Frenchie because he can't possibly handle both by himself. So we see Moon Knight marking the the top of the car with an X with some invisible ink where the plutonium is and he asks Frenchie to follow that car um, and Moon Knight tags onto the other car in the hope to find out who the big boss is. So uh, Frenchie pulls through actually and um, we don't see much. He has a bit of a struggle with, with, um, with Nest um, the nuclear emergency team, but he comes through with the goods and he gets the authorities uh, into the the farmhouse where the the terrorists are hiding with a plutonium device and their bomb, and he pulls through. And uh, it's from that that he manages to radio Moon Knight um, through his cow, Moon Knight's cow, and say that you know the villains have been apprehended. That in turn gives Moon Knight the upper hand over Lupinar because there was a bit of a struggle there. Um, Lupinar was touting to Moon Knight, look, you know, even if you beat me, um, I can give the word to to my lackeys and, you know, the job can still be done. We can still detonate, you know, New York City and uh, I can be out of jail, blah, blah, blah. But what we find is that um, is that once Frenchie radios into Mark, um, Lupinar and Smelt's gig jig is up and um and that really leaves nothing for lupinar but um but death itself so a bit of a tragic figure for lupinar he decides to kill himself by f- literally falling on mark's sword on moon knight's sword um and yeah that's the end of that but but uh, i think really good work between moon knight and frenchy there as a team just had to have a little sip of my tea yeah, so um, those were, I think, were the four main points um, of this issue as well. I, I had, um, 
I had a few notes here, um, just some weird observations. Uh, the first one was, um, how does how on earth does Mark Spector avoid getting shot? Um, so when he's in that tussle with the phony Moon Knight, with Franco, Moon Knight, one of the terrorists comes with a, out with a machine gun and just sprays both of them with bullets. And uh, Mark plays dead, and the phony Moon Knight is indeed dead. But how does Mark avoid the spray bullets there? Is it down to his mercenary experience, or was he just lucky? Or maybe maybe it wasn't depicted um, all that well by Ron Wilson, so maybe we'll have to be a bit more critical of Wilson's art here. And maybe Mark indeed kind of positioned himself behind the phony Moon Knight in order to avoid the bullets. But from the art artistic depiction you definitely see both of them side by side and both of them falling. So I thought that was just a little um, a little bit of uh, disbelief that, you know, they were really trying to suspend um, and not quite successful in that sense. Um, also, what we find from this um, issue as well and which Lupinar kind of... Uh, forms his whole ulterior motive around is that uh, yeah M Moon Knight indeed has a reputation as a master of all weaponry so this is something that we we don't really see explored too much I mean we do see Mark or Moon Knight use the truncheon um, in the 90s he turned that truncheon into almost nunchucks and uh, he's got the crescent darts which are kind of like uh, throwing stars or shurikens uh, he, he's, he's proficient with a bow staff. Uh, this is the first time I've actually seen him quite proficient with a sword. Uh, and he certainly does seem uh, very able with it. Um, so what I really wish is that they, they maybe build on this. Uh, and I don't know how they'll do it. Maybe writers like Bemis can introduce a few more things in Mark's, um, Mark's uh, cachet of, of weaponry. But... Uh, I do like the idea how he's a master of all weaponry. Uh, and um, a couple of episodes ago, I was talking to Connor, the host from Sons of the Dragon, and just fighting abilities, martial arts skills, and how the likes of Daredevil, Iron Fist, and Shang-Chi are quite up there with um, with masters of, of fighting technique. Uh, let's not forget as well that Moon Knight is 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 quite proficient as a fighter as well. He knows a lot of forms of um, of martial arts. He's also a heavyweight boxer as well, uh, and he's quite agile for a for a heavyweight person. So, um, yeah, I think it'd be really cool to explore a bit more of this. And I like the idea that Moon Knight uh, can pick up any weapon and um, and use it really well. Kind of like uh, Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits with with musical instruments. I think. So anyway, um, another note I would say um, from here as well, which um, which I kind of felt for Moon Knight a bit. He he, when he's stalking the the criminals and they're waiting, they have to wait till nightfall before they can go to the mansion where Lupin and Smelt is, or Smelt are. Um, so they hang about and they have food and they just chill and all that. All the while, Moon Knight is stuck in this tree like a little cat. Uh, and he can't eat or move or, you know, go to the toilet or anything. And um, he's left up there. So I think at the end, and I do like the little nod, um, at the end when the whole tale kind of ends, he um, he radios Frenchie. I'm just pulling out the page now. And uh, he goes, all right, Frenchie, come on and pick me up, will you? I don't take all... Oh, 
and don't take all night. I ain't feeling too good. So Moon Knight manages to um, to defeat Lupinar, to, to foil this whole caper uh, on an empty stomach, which I don't know if you are like myself, loonies, but, you know, once you get hangry or once you get hungry, uh, things can really go pear-shaped. So... Uh, so well done, Moon Knight, on, on uh, yeah, on keeping those blood sugar levels up. Uh, another thing, also, uh, yeah, which I think I mentioned before, why does Lupinar need more sleep than normal? Uh, I think it probably gave that allure of him being um, some sort of creature of the night or something more supernatural than than human but it's revealed later on that he has tri- uh, hypertrichosis so um he's really kind of like a normal person he just has got a lot more hair on him um but i think munch adds this in to kind of make him seem a bit more mysterious than he is uh another note is moon moon Knight's geometry i said um, is amazing. He'd be a great pool player, I reckon. Uh, he manages with a crescent dart to deflect a sword from Lupinar's hand, have the sword bounce off the uh, inside corner of the room, and bounce right into his own hand. I think that is just that is a lot of skill to be able to do that. Um, and we're looking akin to. Akin to Captain America um, throwing his his shield, <laughs> I think it's one of those things that defies physics, um, and it's uh, it's fantastic. So Moon Knight has his own little um, uh, has his own little Captain America shield ability. I'm just trying to think who else does something really weird like that. I think it's oh yeah, you see a bit of that in the Netflix Daredevil with his billy clubs. Um, he can throw things and have them deflect and bounce back and back into his hand. So, um, so we see that Moon Knight uh, is just as good as Captain America and just as good as Daredevil with that set with that sort of skill set. Uh, another couple of notes here, loonies. Um, I found really funny. Uh, so we have a uh, tactical team called Nest. And they were part of Frenchie's subplot of trying to get the um, the nuclear or the plutonium, uh, the device. Uh, and NEST stands for Nuclear Emergency Research Team. So I'll say that again. NEST uh, stands for Nuclear Emergency Research Team. So I think someone must have gotten their R's and S's mixed up then. But, uh, you know, um, Nest sounds a lot better than Nert. So uh, maybe we can just let that one slide. Um, And finally, I think note-wise, I thought was quite interesting, was the transmission notes at the end. Um, and, And Munch actually uses this to... Oh, gosh, sorry, loonies. I keep on forgetting how Doug... Mensch, Munch is meant to be pronounced. I'm going to have to, you know, re-listen to the older episodes to get that. I, I think Tommy was, um, he spelled that out uh, last episode. I've already forgotten. Anyway, these transmission notes at the end I find are really cool. So they're kind of like really old school. Um, the best way I can describe it, and for the younger generation loonies, this may sound totally um, nonsensical, but... Um, I think 
back in the day, there was like coded text that ran through like ribbons and stuff, and they were punched with holes which had code. And this is a sort of thing that um, Doug Mensch uses, um, yeah, to kind of uh, give a bit of extra padding to the story and to close things out. So um, in the last two pages, we have, you know, everything's wrapped up, you know, the cape is done, and it says here, I'll just read it out, it says, two weeks later, the man called Lupinar remains a mystery, and Moon Knight was not at all glad to see him die, which is good, it's good that we spelt that out. Despite Moon Knight's supposedly tough shell, pity was a closer emotion, pity and a strange loss, maybe even shame. So, maybe, uh, maybe Mooney was uh, the sort of person that would poke fun at someone uh, with an unfortunate, um, you know, affliction. Maybe that's what he's he's trying to say. Uh, It goes on to say, Stephen Grant donated the genuine Horace statue to the museum from which it was stolen. He was, in turn, donated a reward by the museum to keep the whole thing quiet. So that kind of wraps up, you know, if we've already forgotten about the Horace statue, which what kind of kick-started this whole thing, um, Munch uh, adds a little bit there to kind of close that out. And then finally, the last tape on the last page, it says, Addendum to Taped Records. Although Ambassador Leroux, and let's remember Alphonse Leroux, he was the guy in the, the Chilean ambassador who, who stole the Horace statue and who had some dealings with the terrorists as well. Leroux was diplomatically... Oh, sorry, let me start that again. (laughs) Addendum to taped records. Although Ambassador Leroux was diplomatically immune, Frenchie leaked info overseas. Good on you, Frenchie. Leroux's own government pulled him from service and did whatever it is they do to such clowns over there. (laughs) His replacement is behaving himself, and the dinner was grand. And I'm assuming that taped record was referring to the dinner that Stephen Grant and Marlene have at the end. So that was, uh, yeah, that was issue 14 of the Hulk, um, the backup story for Moon Knight. Um, a fun romp. Uh, again, look, I don't want to cover the, the usual ground. Um, the, the art was fantastic, I thought. Um, as I mentioned previous with a lot of the issues prior to this, um, I found the storytelling, though, like Munch is still kind of grasping, still trying to construct um, a proper, um, what should I say, um, a proper um, plan by the villains. I mean, it seemed very confusing uh, with some of the elements in it, like the phony Moon Knight and, and this even tying back to the Horace statue and then the connections between all these characters like Alphonse Leroux and uh, and Fenton Crane even, going all the way back. Uh, and then we have the introduction of some more villains like Lupinar and Smelt, who seemed very similar to um, to Conquer Lord and, and Weasel. So I think um, Doug Munch is, is still trying to form his craft, and, and in that I'd have to probably give a few points off for the, the structure of the storytelling as well. Um, but the, the art was beautiful. I mean, I, I'd happily look at more art by, by Ron Wilson. I think he did really well. And the colours are really good too. So I would give this... Um, I think I would give this three Crescent Art ratings out of five. I think it was a solid enough issue. Um, I'm half tempted to give three and a half. Um, 
because I did enjoy it. It wasn't as um, as dense and it wasn't as confusing as the other issues. Basically, because all the confusion came before this one, this was this was all pretty straightforward. So yeah, oh look, I'll stick to three, three Crescent Dart ratings for this, which is um, which is pretty cool indeed. So, uh, so Looney's definitely check it out if you can. It's it's harder to come by the um the Holt magazine, but uh, if you happen to have a hard copy, then fantastic. Otherwise, um, you might be able to find it on digital. Uh, but it's I'd say it's worth looking for. So, so give it a give it a look if you can, a look into. All right, Looney's. Um, we have a second a modern review now, uh, and. I'm going to throw it to myself um, to say it live, so I'm not going to throw it to a recording. Uh, I'm going to do it now. Um, but yeah, so this is our modern review, and this is Moon Knight Volume 5, Issue 5, The Bottom, Part 5 of 6, and this is called Friendless and Alone. This was released October 2006, uh, writer Charlie Houston, artist David Finch, Inkers Danny Mickey and Crime Lab Studios. We have colorist Frank D'Armada, letterer VCs Joe Caramagna, and the editors Daniel Ketchum and Axel Alonso. Mark faces a double barrel soliloquy from both the new committee and Taskmaster. After having crashed through Grant Mansion and overpowered both Mark and a now unconscious Marlene, Taskmaster gloats in front of the beaten Mark and reminisces over his previous occupation as a trainer for hire. Taskmaster also points out that Mark's fighting style is certainly one that Tasky likes, uh, is certainly one that Tasky does not like to copy He's never known someone who'd rather take the hit than dodge it. Concurrently, as Taskmaster spouts out his random thoughts, the new committee speak to Mark via a video hooked up to the television. The new committee find Spectre guilty of the murders of their fathers and sentence Mark to a grievous punishment. Taskmaster implores Mark to stop squirming and to allow him to do his job. Having felt that Mark has been tortured and beaten enough, Taskmaster plans on beheading Mark to finalise his contract. Mark puts up a struggle, distracting Tasky enough for Marlene to attack him with gunfire. Taskmaster blocks the bullets and Marlene's gun as well and threatens Marlene if she tries to unblock the barrel of the gun. It turns out that Marlene proves to be a double distraction for Taskmaster, and suddenly, Tarski is stabbed in the foot, with the crescent dart still impaled through Mark's hand. Marlene pushes forward, but even this is neutralised by the experienced villain. It's not until a third party, that of Samuels the butler, who enters the room, and with a blunderbuss, Taskmaster is finally beaten. With the shotgun... He is flung out of the window by the gun blast and manages to escape before Mark can inflict any further damage. With the threat gone, Mark, Marlene, Samuels and Netta leave the mansion and head towards one of Moon Knight's hideouts for some recovery time. 
Mark seems driven by vengeance, and after Marlene patches him up, Mark shuffles his bruised and battered body to his gear and dons on his Moon Knight visage. The fight isn't over yet. As Taskmaster had threatened to kill all of Mark's loved ones, Marlene is afraid for the likes of Gina, her boys Rick and Ray, and for Crawley. But Moon Knight swears that vengeance will be served. Gingerly making his way to the Mooncopter, Moon Knight straps in and flies off in pursuit of Taskmaster and the new committee. As Taskmaster reconvenes with the new committee at their undisclosed office, an argument arises as Taskmaster believes his contract assured him Moon Knight would be friendless and alone. The new committee aren't happy with Taskmaster either as he had failed to kill Moonlight let alone his family and friends. What the villains do not see is a mooncopter on a crash course towards their office. Before anyone can do anything, there is an almighty explosion as the mooncopter ploughs through the building facade, wiping out the new committee. Taskmaster is shaken, but still alive, and fumbles his way towards the cockpit. The windscreen bursts upward and crushes Taskmaster against the ceiling. Out of the mooncopter comes an angered moon knight. He's ready to finish this, and all that comes out of his mouth is the word, Vengeance. Yep. A pretty... Pretty cool issue again, I reckon, from Charlie Houston and David Finch. So this was part five, the second last part. Everything's kind of coming towards a head um, of The Bottom, which was the 2006 release. Um, and again, for many loonies, uh, one, of the, one of the great arcs for Moon Knight. Um, so yeah, so similar um, to the classic run, I'll go through some aspects, four main aspects as well as I've got a few notes here for you. So, again, let me just, I've got a digital copy now. Let me just pull this baby up. And then we can get rocking. So, uh, oh, I've got to mention as well, a pretty cool cover for, for this issue. Issue 5, it's got Moon Knight um, at the front with Taskmaster at the back. And I really do like the similarities that Moon Knight and Taskmaster have, both with the hood and the cape. Um... But the way Finch draws him, very ragged, very beaten, uh, everything's torn, you know, uh, there's bruises and cuts everywhere, so pretty cool. Alrighty, so, um, the first main aspect I have for this would have to be, because um, we, we got a glimpse of it in issue four, would have to be more of Taskmaster. And, and, and this is really cool because... Uh, he does get a good portion of the first half of the of the issue, uh, and what Houston does here is he gets to flesh out Taskmaster's um, personality, which is very distinct. I mean, uh, if you do follow Taskmaster, and I know that um, one particular loony does very much so. Um, yeah, he he's he's quite a quippy kind of guy, and he's quite um, he's quite witty, and uh, his remarks are quite light compared to I guess the job that he does. Um, so yeah, um, sorry, I just got distracted by something popping up on the screen. Um, yep, 
he yeah so it's a really good study of his character um and what we originally or immediately see first is his proficiency as a fighter and um you know okay although mark is a little um a little worse for wear already and marlene's just been knocked unconscious um you know they're still quite um formidable opponents i think and um time and time again taskmaster manages to um to nullify any of their attempts like we see immediately what happens here and this is again a sign of his great skill um mark is on the floor and he's got the crescent dart in his hand mark takes the crescent dart out and with taskmaster's back turned towards him he flings it at tasky but uh tasky catches it between two fingers you know without even flinching and he hurls it back straight back into the back of mark specter's hand again so um he is in complete control at the beginning here and uh and we see not only that but um marlene points a gun point blank at him and uh he manages to raise his shield he he says himself as well um his shield isn't made out of adamantium or vibranium or anything like that and he doesn't have super speed or bulletproof skin he's just a normal guy um but he has got amazing reflexes and uh, photographic reflexes as well so he manages to nullify that attack um, then he shoots a, a crossbow arrow up the barrel of Marlene's gun, which again shows great skill. Um, but what, what these two, Marlene and Mark, do is that they play tag team, and while one distracts, the other kind of attacks. And so um, we get, you know, as, as mentioned in the, in the Bare Bones, we get Mark um, stabbing um, Taskmaster through the foot, with the crescent dart that he's got in his hand. Uh, and while Taskmaster's distracted, Marlene takes the, the arrow out of her gun and she shoots again, but Tasky still manages to raise his shield. He, he throws a crossbow at her and knocks her out again, or kind of knocks her out. And it's only because of uh, Samuels with his blunderbuss and he just lets it rip. And um, Taskmaster obviously must have some sort of Kevlar or... or um, or padding, so it doesn't kill him, but it knocks him out of the window, and uh, and we just see a white van drive away. So he must have just crawled into that, and off they go. But he's a very um, very proficient fighter. Um, so I'd like to see more of Tarski. Actually, he um, he's pretty cool. What we do see later on, though, with him is that he, having said that, in sharp contrast, he is a not a fighter. Um, so he is livid when he goes back to the new committee and he throws his shield down and he says, look, that costs a bit, you know, my costume costs a bit as well. This doesn't grow on trees. And he goes, you promised me a sitting duck. You promised me an easy fight. And Taskmaster also says, look, I'm not a fighter. Look, I, I train people. Um, I get out of my comfort zone. I picked up this contract because you said it was an easy job and it isn't because Moon Knight isn't alone. He's got Samuels and Marlene. Um, and yeah, he's not friendless. So uh, so we can see that although he seemed completely in control up until the time Samuels managed to take him on. And look, it's three against one. So it's a pretty, um, pretty tough ask there for Taskmaster. But uh, yeah, he wasn't happy with the, you know, the outcome of it.
and the promises. So we do. It's interesting to see his character. We see all all the confidence that he exudes. He's still that. That's a facade as well, and he's still kind of um, not. A, I wouldn't say a coward, but he's still um, very much vulnerable. Um, and and he he makes this known to the new committee when he um, when he's upset at the result. Um, yeah, so moving on to uh, my next aspect, uh, and the big one here, and there was a really cool splash page, it's when Mark Spector regains his mojo, basically, he's back in costume, and um, and I've got a little, I think I have it, yeah, I have it here in the notes as well, what I really loved, and I've got to say, this is the lead up to him in his costume, so, well, actually, before that, this is uh, this signifies, I guess, that he, he has embraced um, he has embraced Conchu and has embraced his, I guess, destiny as being Moon Knight. Uh, he was very much, remember earlier on, very much a broken man. Um, uh, as, as the new committee mentioned, he was driven and isolated away from his friends. The profile had perfectly um, summarized Mark as, as a person, except for, you know, what had happened with one of the new committee members doing something prematurely, which kind of offset everything. But uh, with this splash page in the Moon Cave, we see Mark back as Moon Knight, and that was a, a big hero moment, I thought, and uh, very, it, you know, it took up to part five of six of this first arc for him to get back into his costume. But it was a big hero moment. I loved it. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so he's uh, what I had in the notes, actually, about this was uh, led up to it. Let me find the page. Was okay, so he is a beaten wreck, right? And he's just coming off being hammered by Taskmaster. Marlene's bandaging him up, and then we see this really cool thing. Um, I guess with Crime Lab Studios as well, doing a bit of that kinetic thing. He he smacks his fist into the palm of his hand, and he has this look of determination. Although he's got bloodied bandages and he's got cuts and bruises everywhere, he is ready. And then you get that kind of um interspersed montage of him um you know basically strapping himself putting some more extra padding on uh kind of shakily going in his uh in his underdacks as uh as he goes past his weaponry and past um a few versions of his costume and he comes out fully clothed oh he's got his cestus gloves as well so the spike gloves we've got him in his full full gear with his um with his crescent darts at his belt Awesome stuff. Anyway, that would have that was a big moment for me. Um, not much really to say there, but uh, that was a big moment for Mark and Moon Knight in general. It's uh, him back on the horse, so to speak. Um, yeah, what we also have here, uh, I also had Moon Knight's savagery. Like, so this all kind of leads up to it with him getting back as Moon Knight, with him showing that level of determination of him saying vengeance. He says it twice um, at the very end of the of the issue and in that splash page of him when he first puts on his costume again. Uh, he Marlene asks, what are you going to do about that? And he just says vengeance. He is a driven, driven person. And, uh, and there's no punches pulled here. So we see um, Moon Knight and Mark Spector in the moon copter, he just plows into the new committee, like the building. This is a, a massive act, you know. This is a, a, an act of a monumental scale. It's not like him swinging through 
you know, on a rope ladder and, uh, you know, throwing his darts and beating everyone, he is out to totally obliterate the new committee. And I think um, the use of the mooncopter to crash into the building, um, it just spoke volumes about how driven and how savage this Moon Knight is. Not a typical hero, you know? It's not like something that um, you'd see... Daredevil do, or something that Spider-Man would do. It's probably something that the Punisher, I think, would do. We're kind of edging towards that. Um, but yeah, really brutal stuff. And uh, I thought that encapsulated it really well. Um, and it sets it up for a very cool part six, uh, which we'll cover uh, in a coming episode. So, yep. Yeah. And uh, the final aspect, again, uh, just kind of lingering there uh, with Mark is, although he's injured and battered, he still pushes on. Uh, he shows no fear, uh, which was one of the quotes from, from Tommy last episode. I really loved how Tommy mentioned um, how Moon Knight knows no fear, maybe even more so than, say, Daredevil. Uh, you know, and, and I found that just really cool because he does. He is such a, a battler, he's such a fighter. And uh, he hasn't got extra senses to to kind of um, to kind of shield what could potentially be scary moments, uh, you know. So Daredevil, in that sense, he's blind, so um, he has no fear because a lot of the stuff that we see with our eyes kind of gives us that fear. But he hasn't got that. He's got these other senses to help him, and so he can manage that in his head. Whereas Moon Knight, he doesn't have any of those extrasensory um, advantages. He still shows no fear, you know, he will not block a punch. Um, and he knows no pain as well. Like, I loved it with that with that fist um, smacking into the palm of his hand. Uh, he's bruised and battered, he's wobbly, he even stumbles and Marlene has to help him. And he still goes, look, stupid, some people might say <laughs> as well. Uh, but I think, damn, damn, uh, he is one driven guy, he's one brave guy, so... Um, all to him for that, and I think that was a. I think that had to be mentioned as one of the aspects for him. So having said that, so what we yeah what we basically saw uh, is that it's going to come down to, well let's just say Taskmaster isn't done yet, um, although he hasn't got long to go, um, and Moon Knight's just obliterated the new new committee. Um, there's still a, a few loose ends to tie up, but it really wraps it up, and I'm really loving the pacing of Houston's six, um, six issue arc, uh, really cool. So, um, yeah, so before I get into the Crescent Art rating, uh, I'll just go into some notes here. Um, similar to what I mentioned about Mark and Frenchie, I loved Mark and Marlene's teamwork at the beginning, although they weren't successful against Taskmaster. I loved how they worked together. Um, they're a team, uh, she doesn't shirk away from any violence or from shooting a gun. She was there. She wanted to end Taskmaster as soon as she can. She's not even the girlfriend or partner of Mark Spector, and she says that as well. But she is there fighting, um, you know, for her own life, uh, but also just because she's a good person. Uh, also, I have notes here, Samuels as the MVP. i got to give it to Samuels, the butler. He's great, isn't he? And uh, he, I loved his old-fashioned blunderbuss, or um, what we call it, or a musket. He had that old-fashioned thing. He must have like taken it off the um, display in one of uh, Grant Mansion halls 
and he just loaded it up and he let loose on Taskmaster. And if it wasn't for Samuels, I'm sorry, but things could have gone very differently. So, uh, well done, Samuels. There, he earned uh, he's earned himself a a week vacation, I reckon, in the Grant household. Um, also, as notes, uh, we saw the uh, one one of Moon Knight's um, hideouts or his Moon Cave, uh, and I really liked the reference or the uh, little Easter egg there of the ancient weapons that he he um he walks past. So a bit of a nod to Volume Two of Moon Knight, which is Fist of Conchu, where we see um, the Ank uh, and we see his um, Egyptian bracelets. Uh, you know, and there's there's like an axe and, and some older ancient kind of looking weaponry. But that was, for me, that was very much, um, that was very, oh, he's even the, um, he's got the boomerang there. Uh, yeah, that was very much synonymous with the volume two run of, of uh, Fist of Conchu. Uh, another note I had here was really strange, I thought, was the capsules of the, the costumes that Mark walks by. Now, I know this is a bit of a trope. Uh, that you have your heroes in their in their superhero cave or, or hideout. You have either you know this is very uh, dare I say it again yeah similar to Batman with the the line of costumes or Iron Man even with all his Mark um, up two three four versions of of suits all lined up. Uh, I found it a little out of place. I thought uh, I don't see why they have to be highlighted in these high-tech capsules um they all look like they're the same sort of costume as well i'm just kind of looking the only real difference i can see for one of them is the belt um so maybe we're looking at one of the adamantium armored costumes i mean there have been a few iterations of costumes for moon knight um but i thought that was a little funny having them in display capsules uh also, as well, Samuels notes that the Mooncopter might not work because there was after the length of disuse. So again, that alludes to the fact of how how long out of the game Mark Spector has been, and how long out of the scene, the superhero scene, Moon Knight has been. So uh, I think that was a nice little way of just showing the amount of time gone, um, and the amount of time that basically Mark Spector has been broken. Uh, also, I've got here as a note the new design of the Mooncopter, different from issue one. Now, I'm actually rethinking that. I think, look, I thought this Mooncopter was pretty cool. Uh, I think it is a redesign. Uh, it's more vertical, so it's more like the Crescent Moon. Um, I wonder if it is interchangeable, if it like swings around and then you have the other kind of model of it. Um, but then again, it could also hark back to one of his older model, um, Mooncopters, and I do remember Connor and I making fun of some of the earlier models. Uh, I think this is, I think this takes a leaf of uh, out of one of the earlier models, but I don't know, it just seems a lot better. I don't know, the way David Finch draws it, maybe it's a bit more, it's a bit more cool. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, the Mooncopter makes another appearance and has a uh, integral part in the story, i.e. it gets, uh, it gets rammed into the building, which is pretty cool. Uh, and also, yeah, the last note I had was smacking the fist into the palm of the hand. As mentioned, the look of determination, fantastic stuff. That was a big, uh, a big yeah moment for me when I saw that. Uh, it was just, I just love. I lo- after after Mark Spector being so despondent and so broken and so, 
you know, oh, so feeling sorry for himself. I just, it just was great to finally see him with a bit of confidence and and a bit of motivation. So, um, yeah, so a little note there. So for this um, issue, I would have to give it, I'll give it straight out, a, a four and a half Crescent Darts out of five. I thought it was really good. Um, I'm really enjoying this, uh, as you can tell. I'm, I may not be totally sub- objective. Um, it is a really good, really cool run, one of my favourites. Uh, and reading it again, uh, it was a pleasure. It was like, there was a, you know, it's a modern uh, run, Uh there are pages there where actually Houston does populate it with a, a bit of text, but by no means are you bogged down by it. Um, the, the action flows, the beats are good. Um, and what I found really cool in this issue was that uh, Houston focused a bit on Taskmaster there. It was good to see a bit of Taskmaster uh, and to get to understand him a bit more. Uh, it might seem a bit odd that he's um, he's getting a bit of a, a spotlight put on him, Um in this, but he's, he's such an interesting character, so uh, I think it was really cool to have him as a foil to to Moon Knight and to use Taskmaster via the new committee. Um, to me, the, the new committee themselves are still not all that interesting. Like Taskmaster and the profile uh, interest me more than them, but um, they're good in kind of binding everything together, I guess. So four and a half crescent darts. Uh, I'd give it. I'd give this. Definitely go check it out if you can find parts one to six. I urge you to read it. Um, available on digital, Marvel Unlimited. Uh, still available on floppies out there uh, and in trade, both in trade paperback and in hardcover if you're lucky enough. Uh, so very good, very good indeed. All right, loonies. I think that pretty much wraps it up. I um I've actually got. Uh, a bit of uh, feedback to go through from Spectacle. So in our Spectacle, our little shout-outs, uh, I'd actually like to take it back. I um, I think the boys forgot to mention the feedback for Moon Knight 194 from our Facebook group. So uh, I'll quickly go through them. We had, thank you so much, Loonies, for all the feedback as well. It was really cool. Um, if you haven't or somehow have missed last episode, please check it out. Issue... Uh, issue episode 41 um connor hosts it with um two loonies tommy uh, the man on the streets and the power of chad a really cool loony as well anyway um so we got some feedback from facebook about issue 194 so i just want to read it out um to you so the first bit of feedback uh, we had was from levi uh and he says i was wary of yet another origin story Story, but this was fantastic. Explored an often overlooked aspect of Mark's life, his Jewish heritage, and established a childhood trauma that played a large part in who he is today. And also gave us a possible villain for the future too. It was also nice to see him spending some quality time with Dia at the end there. Overall, a fantastic issue, and I'm excited to get back to the superheroing next month. Yes, thanks, Levi. I think that um, pretty much sums up uh, a, what a lot of fans thought, a lot of loonies thought. Um, and I like your last comment there as well. Uh, origins are always cool. Look, I, I went into 194 
not totally excited because I thought, oh, another origin retelling. But it had a little bit of, it had enough difference in there for me um, and a nice little twist. Uh, and I, I actually really enjoyed it. But like yourself, um, yeah, I'm keen to see some superheroing. So uh, so hopefully the next issue, 195 with The Collective, will uh, will give us what we want there. Uh, Corey, Corey Hardiman, who's, uh, who's written in before and who did a bare bones for us. He says, and he writes in, maybe it was because my expectations were so low, but I unexpectedly loved this issue. I always liked it. Uh, sorry, I always like it when they acknowledge his Jewish heritage and the story was actually intriguing. It fits well within his already established history. I really like this new villain, and I look forward to his eventual return, or so I hope. Yeah, it seems like a lot of fans um, uh, are intrigued by Uncle Ernst. Uh, Bemis seems to have stepped up his writing with this one, especially when it comes to giving his characters distinct voices, which was something he's fallen short of in the past. And I can't agree with you more there, that we had a whole discussion about how sometimes the voicings of the characters seemed all the same, which is a very, I'm assuming it's a very hard thing, or... It's a very easy thing, actually, to fall into, and it's a very hard thing to really craft distinct voices for people. Uh, Bring on the next standalone issue. I thought the premise for it looked interesting before, but now I am doubly excited for it. Uh, Yeah, so that's great. I think um, think Corey is alluding to... I think there's the next few issues will be all um, standalone or all one-shots, I believe. I think I've heard that somewhere. I may have said that or created that myself. I'm not sure, but I think that's what he's saying. But yeah, thanks, Corey. Um, I actually, he also goes on to say, I think this seems to be the only issue thus far that seems unanimously liked, a great sign for the future. So yeah, so uh, Corey's um, pretty cool because he, um, yeah, he's very, um, uh, Corey loves his Moon Knight. And uh, if he doesn't like what's happening, he'll say it. If he loves it, he'll say it as well. So really appreciate it, Corey. And uh, it looks positive. Uh, then we have the power of Chad. The power, I feel like I should have a like a pre-recorded thing, like the power of Chad. Anyway, Chad writes in, and he says, "I'm happy with how this issue turned out. The art, the dialogue, little Dietrich missing her D words. I feel this may have a key into Mark and his reservoir of power. The power of Chad." This wasn't action-packed, but I feel like there may be a cipher for certain events that comes back in the next few issues. Thanks, Chad. I think, uh, yeah, I, um, yeah, like you, I was pleasantly surprised with how this turned out. So, um, interesting to see where it goes. Uh, yeah, Dietrich, you reminded me there, and I think it was discussed last time, uh, a few a few points there, a few uh, issues there with Ty Templeton making Dietrich. Yes, yeah, she really looked like a young teenager in some bits, or you know, or like at least eleven or twelve or something. Um, and I always thought that she was very young, like she should have been what around the five six years of age. Anyway, uh, thanks, Chad. Cheers for that. Uh, next up, we have another seasoned loony, Joel T. Lewis. He says, the marriage of my Moon Knight and Seinfeld fandoms in this issue gave me no end of joy. I love that connection. Also, pretty gnarly and satisfying. An odd word for it, I know. Traumatic origin for Mooney's DID. Yeah, it was a very, um, I think Bemis has done really well by, um, yeah, not rehashing a typical portion of Mark Spector's origin 
and looking into something else. And look, I know there has been some comments about, you know, do we need to go into how this was manifested? But for me, I found it interesting. And, um, and you know, if it's contained to just this one issue, I think that's, I think that's great. Um, yeah. Uh, we have another one, another couple here from Derek. Uh, Derek Scott Plummer, he says, The best issue Bemis has done by far. It started slow, but knocked it out of the park in the end. Hopefully he can keep the tone of this issue throughout more of the run. Yeah, agree with you, Derek. Um, what I found with this issue, which was really cool, and which I think that you're speaking to, is, um, yeah, what, what seemed like a normal kind of story showed that there was a, a lot, there was a lot of, uh, like, like it was a darker side to it. And it's just that turn of how things um, are dark or how things, how dark things lie just underneath what seems normal, uh, which I think Bemis is is so effective in writing. I think it was really cool uh, and, and helped by Ty Templeton as well. And with the colours, I mean, that the deep red and of Mark going in the basement. Um, oh, yeah, it's really good stuff. Uh, finally, we have something from Josh, Josh Johnson, and he says... Uh, looks like I'm in the minority here, but I think this was a really pointless issue. Could have at least put him in a costume, fighting thugs outside a synagogue, and have that trigger the flashback instead of Mark sitting Frenchy down with the age-old let-me-tell-you-my-origin plot. Not saying it's bad, the art was fine, and the Jewish serial killer rabbi's jokes did make me chuckle. But unless the origin sows the seeds for the next arc or something, this was a waste of an issue. Well, um, yeah, I mean, like, thanks, Josh, for, for writing in. And um, for sure, of course, we respect all sorts of opinions. So, um, yeah, look, if it wasn't your cup of tea, uh, you know, let's um, let's hope that maybe this is then contained to, to just this issue as well and uh, let it lie where it is. Um, interesting as, you, as well, what you say about um, the origin, if it sows seeds for the next arc... Uh, that might lead to something, and that might actually make you, I don't know, like, maybe maybe like issue 194 a bit more. But, uh, you know, of course, totally, if it's not your cup of tea and it's not your thing, uh, then, of course, um, you know, one of the hardest things, I think, for writers is to, look, you can't please everyone. And, like, who knows, maybe 195 might be a really stellar issue for you, you know, um, and it may not be so for others. It's just uh, it's one of those things, eh? But um, but thank you so much for writing in, and please do keep on writing in because um, love feedback of all sorts. So there you go, loonies. Just uh, catching up on a bit of feedback from Moon Knight One Ninety Four. There, thank you so much. Um, keep it coming in. Uh, they're always fun to read out and uh, really cool to discuss. Um, so. Uh, looking forward to. It. We haven't got too much time before One Ninety Five, so that would be pretty cool as well. All right, loonies, we have for next phase, we have something a bit different again. <laughs> so we've just returned to our classic and modern run format, which is our staple. Uh, and we want to shake it up a bit. You know, there's nothing better than shaking up the, uh, you know, variety is the spice of life. So uh, it's always good to shake things up. And we're returning to our friends of the show spotlight. So a couple of episodes ago, we had the uh, very cool Connor from Sons of the Dragon, the Immortal Iron Fist podcast, uh, sat him down at Grant Mansion and had a good chat with him, uh, and also talked about his um, what I like to call the the Desert Island comics, the comics that he'd like to take 
with him, like his favourite, all-time favourites. Um, I'd like to call this, now since we're in ITK, I'd like to call it the Isla Ra comics. So, um, so next episode, we'll have a friend of the show and fellow loony, Rick, the Rick Ball special. Uh, Rick will be joining us. Uh, and he is a Sydney cider. I have actually had the great pleasure of meeting Rick already at um, my local comic book store and his local store. And I would like to also just say that Rick um, Rick actually sold me his his um, floppies of the of the Brian Michael Bendis run. So f- eternally grateful to you, Rick. Thank you so much. And I cannot wait to have you on the show to just chew the fat. Um, you know, just maybe take you to uh, Gina's diner first off. You know, let's let's have a uh, let's have a late night coffee there, or a, a trucky meal, or a, a slice of apple pie. And uh, Connor and I, um, and we can just we can just chat about about stuff about how you how you got into comics. Um, you know what sort of movies you like. You know what sort of podcasts you listen to. Uh, and we'll get onto your Isla Ra comics. So. Uh, similar to the discussion with Connor, um, four of your favourite comics of all time, issues, I'm going to make it hard, so comic book issues of all time, and uh, we'll review two of them, similar to how we review uh, any comic book issues on this show. So, yep, so catch it next week, loonies, it should be fun, uh, yeah, and get to know a bit more uh, of the loonies in our community, so uh, the Rick Ball special is coming. Good stuff, Rick. Uh, I also wanted to, um, before I go anyway, actually, I've got something here that I almost forgot, but I didn't. So um, I'd actually, I love, I always wanted to say this. Um, I will now pass it on uh, for a word from our sponsors, but it's not our sponsors. Look, I'm just, I just wanted to say that. Um, yeah, as you know, we are part of the collective. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to throw it to one of our first audio ads from a fellow collective. Um, yeah, have a listen. Hey there, everyone. I'd like to tell you about the YouTube channel I Am Your Target Demographic. If you're a fan of comics, we have plenty that you'll enjoy over there, including a series called Heroes Like Us that explores comic characters of all sorts of different identities. And we even have a series that defines words that are used in nerd culture that you may not know what they mean. So you can check us out by heading to YouTube and searching I Am Your Target Demographic or look up IAYTV on any social media outlet. Okie dokie. Thank you so much, Adam, from I Am Your Target Demographic, a really cool uh, YouTube channel there. I highly urge you to check it out. He comes up with some great things from... Uh, you know, MCU films to um, to starters, like, you know, if you want to know more about Thanos and stuff like that, or or uh, just really random stuff. Um, what I really like uh, is his video channel of uh, Heroes Like Us, and he kind of groups, categorizes heroes into certain things. Um, I've checked out a few from all the heroes from particular countries, um, so I obviously checked the heroes from Australia. Um, I like the... Uh, he did a couple on heroes on the autistic spectrum, uh, as well as from Mexico and from from Ireland as well. Uh, really good. He's got a whole heap of them. Check it out. Okay, loonies. Um, also, as well, uh, just a little, um, oh, just a little, another little shout out. I just want to. Um, I visited a good mate of mine today, Lance. Uh, he was struck with a 
a very, very bad virus when he was traveling. Um, it was really life-threatening. Um, and we were all very worried there for a sec. Um, just this earlier this afternoon, I, I went and visited him in hospital. Um, it's a, a slow journey to recovery, to getting your strength back, but um, it was great to see you, Lance. Um, champ, you're a, you're a, a very valued friend, um, and um, I'll catch you again over there um, as soon as I can. And just, uh, yeah, just take it easy, bud, and um, get better soon. But uh, you're really scary stuff. But I uh, just wanted to shout out to Lance. He, he doesn't listen to the show, I'm sure. I'm sure. But uh, yeah, I just want to send out the well wishes and um, loonies. Yep, just send out the good vibes, please, um, for, my, for my good mate Lance. Uh, okay, so that's about it, loonies. I think uh, I think we've covered it all. Um, yeah, as as always, if you'd like to get in contact with us, uh, you can. Do so via email. Uh, I've changed it all now, so it's a lot easier. So you can catch us at itkmoonnight at gmail.com. Uh, also, we have a website um, or blog site, and that's um, WordPress. Um, so the website is into the night podcast.wordpress.com. Uh, on Facebook, we have a Facebook page. Just uh, facebook.com slash itkmoonnight. We also have a closed group. It's a Facebook group. Um, it's facebook.com slash groups slash itkmoonnight. Uh, please think of joining. Uh, it's really cool. You get to meet a lot of really cool loonies from all over the world. Uh, it's great interacting with them, and uh, it's great hearing all their thoughts. Uh, we're also on Twitter at itkmoonnight. So as you can see, it's all trying to get all kind of uh, standard and, and across the board, um, as well as uh, on Instagram, we're on Tumblr, we have a YouTube channel as well, so uh, yeah, one of the loonies, uh, Raphael, mentioned um, it's a lot easier for him to listen to it uh, on YouTube because they provide subtitles, which I didn't know, which is very cool, uh, so if English is your second language, uh, but you're still a big Moonlight fan, uh, consider just listening to the show uh, on YouTube, it's released every week along with, um, uh, along with all the other good podcast catches. Um, yep, so we're, we're trying to get out there for everyone. Uh, all right, loonies, thank you so much. I will sign off now so um, I can cobble this together and I want to I wanna shoot this out as soon as I can. Please remember, um, if you do like Max Bemis, want to catch up with him and you're in the UK, May 26th, 27th or 28th, he's at Leeds, Hatfield Park or in Birmingham. I think it was Birmingham, did I say? I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, yeah, and it'll be really cool if you can catch one of his shows um, and just mention you're a loony. And I'm sure he'll have a uh, a whole heap of fun interacting with Moon Knight fans. All right, I have to go. So as, um, as we always say on the show, may Conchu watch over the denizens of the night. Catch you later. Moon Knight and affiliated characters, stories and events are properties of Marvel Characters Incorporated. Materials used and discussed within the podcast are intended for critique and review purposes only under the fair dealing concept of the current Copyright Act. The views, information or opinions expressed during the podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the copyright owners.